Hello, and welcome to Red Rock Relationships, a podcast about communication. Let's unpack the relationships that we encounter in our daily lives and learn about what makes them tick. And now your host for Red Rock Relationships, Dr. James B. Stein. All right. Well, after I think three weeks off, we had a minor scheduling issue, but we were able to get it together. And so we're actually doing double duty today, which if you're listening on like Spotify or something, it doesn't really matter because you can listen to them at your leisure. But for me, I'm in here twice today uh, on Wednesday. Uh, So that'll be a fun day for me. And uh, my first guest on this double duty is one of the newest hires of Utah Tech University uh, and the other uh, person uh, in charge of teaching interpersonal communication here in our department. I am super excited to announce the presence of Dr. Robert Hall. Robbie, thanks for joining. Yeah, thanks for having me here, James. Of course, I'm so excited. So the show has gotten into a habit of having repeat guests, but this is your first time, and so I'd like to do just like quick little intros and backgrounds. So maybe if you could talk about your uh, your you know this isn't an interview, but your your research philosophy <laughs> and just kind of like your 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 background, how you got into studying what you study, and what we're here to talk about today. Yeah, so I recently graduated with my PhD, University of Nebraska Lincoln, and I'm from Nebraska originally. Um, I've been studying over the course of forever uh, issues in non-visible illnesses and visible illnesses um, having to do from everything of chronic and mental health and how we share that information, um, whether we have that choice to share it or not. Mm-hmm. And so that's a lot of what I look at and I'm interested in in terms of my study. Nice, nice. And of course, there's issues, there are tons of issues <laughs> yeah. of interpersonal relationships oh there. Gosh, and yes. so... Uh, talking about things like visible and non-visible health mm-hmm. issues is, of course, what inspired today's topic, which mm-hmm. is toxic body positivity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just kind of want to jump into it, if that's okay with you. That's totally fine. In the public, we are super familiar with things like body negativity, body shaming, and one of the, uh, I guess, solutions that organically formed in, like, the, the 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 greater population was let's stop being negative about our bodies and start being positive about our bodies, which is great in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. But of course, monkey's paw, right? Everything always comes with some conditions. And so now we have this new phenomenon that is emergent in academic uh, and, and, and maybe like nutritionist uh, areas of inquiry, but a little bit less so in, in the quote unquote lay world. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if we could take a minute to just kind of break down like what is toxic body positivity and maybe like an example or two that folks can... Uh, apply it to or relate to? Yeah, so the whole topic of body positivity was really driven by social media, um, coming stemming from Instagram uh, as a big movement um, <clears throat> in response to some ideas uh, regarding healthy at all sizes as a health campaign. Mm. Um, what we see with body positivity is that it's working towards the acceptance of different body, Mm -hmm. um, especially body size. Mm -hmm. And so what we see with that is it was a, um, according to Macker and Shorb in 2022, they broke this down between the public health and medicine, where they talked about a lot of public health campaign 
looks to prevent fatness. Mm. Uh, medicine has a more, they attribute medicine as having more of a nuanced understanding of fatness. Mm. Uh, whereas public health seeing it as much more personal choice, individual health, and medicine being more willing to acknowledge um, it's more than just individual blame, mm. that there's aspects of genetics, biology, environmental factors of that we need to consider in terms of being... Oops. <laughs> in terms of um, what it means to be fat and obese. So it's a health condition that for other health conditions, we can consider other factors. But for some reason, as a society, the idea of fat phobia, as Mackin points out, is just health associated as individual choice and nothing more. And so body positivity works to tr work to and continues to work to try to point out that that's a flawed ideology. Mm. Yeah. And I, I think it's really interesting that you mention uh, individual choice because mm -hmm. uh, like we'll actually spend some time talking about with our second guest today. A lot of this is rooted in the individualistic perspective of Western culture where like everything is up to you and like you are completely in control of your own destiny. And I know you mentioned things like genetics and, and, and biology, but you also mentioned environment. And so like the thing that comes to my mind is somebody who lives in a low income neighborhood scrolling on Instagram and seeing like a, a video of people being like, well, we're high raw vegans uh, and, and we only eat like fresh papaya mm -hmm. and like oat smoothies. And like, mm -hmm. what if you don't have a blender? Right. Like, what if you can't afford a blender? What if what if they don't sell fresh produce in your neighborhood or what if they do, but it's eight miles away and you don't have a vehicle to get there? So and even then it's expensive and then it's expensive. Uh, so like things that are organic or mm -hmm. locally sourced or whatever it may be, that might be the quote unquote healthier options right. are more expensive to mm -hmm. either get access to or just to have at all. And then the equipment to be able to prepare that. Yeah, and there's, of course, there's intersectionality afoot because then people will mm -hmm. be like, well, why don't you just grow your own produce? And like, oh, so you think that, <laughs> you think, I can't afford a car, but mm -hmm. you think I have a backyard to grow fruit in? Like what, like, I so live in a studio apartment. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Please tell me where I can grow a papaya. Right, um, yeah, and I, and I worked 17 hours today, so I'm yes. not exactly giddy to go water my, uh, my cantaloupes. Like, mm -hmm. so you mentioned social media, mm -hmm. and I think that social media was... Leslie, less an extent in the 90s, but like news media, for example, was like really responsible for that whole, like remember Thin is Beautiful in the mm -hmm. 90s and like all the unfortunate eating disorders that uh, resulted from that. <clears throat> um, but that's not quite what toxic body positivity is, right? Thin is Beautiful was more like body negativity. Mm -hmm. um, so... Can we just talk a little bit more about the role that social media plays here uh, and how that shapes our idea, not of what like a body ought to look like, but how it shapes our idea of what body positivity is supposed to look like? Mm. So how social media just shapes what this is supposed to be. Yeah, like how, how they control, control is the wrong word, mm. but how the narrative is shaped by the collective social media. Mm. Yeah, it's... A lot of interesting discourse that I see in regards to body positivity because even those who are pushing for body positivity and those who promote those who are larger sized mm -hmm. get a lot of pushback still that this is not a healthy lifestyle, that it's not this or the other, but it still gets blamed on individual choice. And so I still see 
um, when we're talking about the narrative in social media mm -hmm. that people are trying to say, no, this is not just a individual choice. Like I don't have access to this, that, or the other, mm -hmm. as we mentioned. But if you go through like the comments or the discourses, which are the, where, you know, toxic bypass city, toxic happens. Um, you see so much pushback mm -hmm. on that, um, of this is still not good because of being fat or obese. So although a lot of the creators are trying to push for this um, mm. idea of, I, I read a lot about body positivity in terms of body diversity. Mm -hmm. um, I like that phrase better. Yeah, I like that. Um, but in that sense, they're trying to push for this body diversity, uh, but getting a lot of pushback still. Hmm. It reminds me of, you know what it really reminds me of? It reminds me of the conversations going on about like the LGBTQIA plus community, mm -hmm. uh, you know, 20 years ago where people were saying like, well, it doesn't really, you know, doesn't really bother me if people choose to live their life this way. I just don't want to see it. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's kind of what this is, uh, you know, with your discussion on fatness and obesity, this is, that's kind of what this is reminding me of, mm -hmm. where people are, are saying, well, you know, I don't really have a problem with obese people. I just don't want to look at it, and I don't want it to be accepted as normal. Why do, why do you think people are so against the normalization of a body type that, like, objectively and statistically is normal? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you mentioned people's reaction to seeing big bodies and spaces they don't want to see them. Mm -hmm. You can recall uh, Lizzo's cover. Oh, yeah. Where she posed nude, and it was a really beautiful cover, but people just were, not all people, but the people who were against the idea of body diversity, mm. just infuriated mm. um, or outraged or passionate about the fact that this was promoting unhealthy lifestyle. Right. And again, we see lifestyle as associating this with individual choice. Right. Despite the fact that we know Lizzo works out like crazy, that she is vegan, all that stuff that people would say are healthy. Um, it's such an interesting idea to think about in terms of even the parallels, like you mentioned in the queer community, mm -hmm. right? Um, going back even a little further in the early nineties, HIV is individual, right? Oh yeah. HIV is individual choice. Um, not that fat phobia and AIDS are the same thing by any means or HIV AIDS, but we still see that stigma of individuality. Yeah. And that's yeah. where a lot of this is perpetuated is this is you your choice, you're marked yeah. as negative, which is the literal, as Goffman would say, stigma marking right. as other. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so people being not wanting to see that, they don't want to distance themselves from something that's deemed unattractive. Mm. Right. And we think of attractiveness, um, people that we think are attractive, um, are thin, built, whatever you may have, blonde hair, blue eyes, brown hair, whatever. Um, fat doesn't fit that. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting. This is something I talk about with my nonverbal students every semester, which is that two, three hundred years ago, if you were in a bigger body, it meant you were desirable, that you were wealthy and then that that was attractive. And then, uh, you know, if you go even further back, these uh, indentured servants were, you know, chiseled and, and, and ripped. But it was a sign of low standing in the community and was therefore 
considered uh, blase, mm-hmm. un- unappealing, unattractive, something that, you know, the common folk had. And so it's so interesting how now we have shifted because, of course, obviously, of like production, most folks in wealthy countries have access Mm-hmm. to calories, right? And so, uh, you know, thankfully malnourishment isn't as big of a problem here as it was, you know, several hundred years ago. But mm-hmm. it's interesting how that abundance has created a new social standard of attractiveness and how what was once desirable is now in the public image something to be, oh, like sh- shunned away from. Right. And it's abundance of certain types of food, right? Like mm-hmm. abundance of more... Know, organic health, quote unquote, healthier types of food. Um, it's not going to produ- do the same things to a body as having even just fast food for lunch would do. Right. Right. And so having access to those types of resources is still going to do different things to the body that we know biologically, uh, physiologically um, affects our moods, our willingness to exercise, our mm-hmm. Um, every level of every test that we can take. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, it, there's one other, I, I'm glad you mentioned um, the, the effect because that's where I want to go next. Uh, but remind me that if we have time, I want to I talk about addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, much like uh, body negativity, which is like publicly on its way out, I would say, uh, toxic body positivity and this idea of like acceptance versus unacceptance, it carries with it physiological and psychological ramifications for both adults and children. Mm-hmm. At the interpersonal level, can we talk about maybe some signs that you might encounter if like a friend or a family member has been consuming this sort of content? Like if we worry for the mental or physical safety of, of someone who we love, like what are some signs that they've been interacting with this sort of material? Yeah. So Newark's uh, Stainer in 2009 talked about the overlap of obesity and eating disorders mm-hmm. um, and how similar the symptoms are that you can tell someone is being affected, um, if you can see that they're increasingly demonstrating dissatisfaction with their body mm-hmm. is number one type of sign for that. Dieting mm. um, in terms of counting calories, all of those right. more unhealthy types of restricting access to what you eat can be a sign of that someone's been consuming this type of media mm-hmm. or information. If you notice the type of media they're watching, if they become more obsessed with watching um, certain dieting fad videos or scrolling through a lot of that type of TikTok or what mm-hmm. and what may be um, weight related teasing, if they're experiencing a lot of that, that can lead to a lot of issues and obesity and uh, eating disorders. So we see that overlap in things that are leading people to experience things like obesity mm-hmm. and um, eating disorders. And a lot of that is environmental and not necessarily individually yeah. based. It's what we get exposed to or what we get told rather than what we do. You know where I'm seeing this um, with shocking commonality is in the, I'm going to just use the the colloquial term in the gym bro community. Mm -hmm. I am seeing so many young men who are doing things like um, starting anabolic steroids, counting their calories uh, religiously, Mm -hmm. um, working out, you know, doing two a days, six days a week, um, fighting through things like injuries that they're experiencing for the sake of quote unquote gains. 
That to me is like the epitome of toxic body positivity because you see these, and it's mostly young men, of course. It's it's uh, of course women as well. But in the specific example that I'm thinking of, you see these young men flexing in front of the camera, talking about how it all just comes down to hard work mm-hmm. and it all just comes down mm-hmm. to maintaining discipline and focusing on the diet. The let individual me, choice. Let me tell you something. When I was in college, I forced myself to eat until nausea. I was in the gym <clears throat> lifting weights uh, for three, four hours a day sometimes. Mm-hmm. I never gained any weight. Mm. The, the only thing that could I considered taking anabolic steroids. And, and then I was like, well, what am I doing? Like, why am I doing this? Like, what is wrong? <laughs> what? Mm-hmm. Um, and no matter how hard I tried, my body type, my metabolism refused to add mass. It just, it just didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And it, even though I was, you know, pound for pound, very strong in, you know, quote unquote, good shape, it, it created that I hated the fact that I couldn't add mass. Mm-hmm. And, and I was doing all the positive things to my, I was eating right. I was exercising daily and I, it, it didn't help me feel better about myself. And I had all these nagging injuries, so my body wasn't doing great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so th- that's, the, that's the example that I think of there. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It, it's frustrating. Right. Um, yeah, the the whole idea of you know that gym bro culture and a lot of what you see in recommendations of people say, how'd you get like this? Um, they eat boiled chicken and that's and rice and that's like yeah. it. And that is food is also so cultural. Mm. And so to say that that's all you're going to eat can erase a lot of someone's opportunities to bond with family, to bond with significant other. And so we could find alternatives to that. But when it's so, when we know how tied to culture food Mm -hmm. is, it is not perhaps even an option. Yeah. Right. And then these are the same. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say that all gym bros do this, but it's, it's a problem in that community. These are the same people who fat shame. Mm-hmm. And who talk about, oh, I could never be addicted to food like that. And then they turn around and they said, well, I had 3,115 calories today. I'm going to have 2,875 calories tomorrow. Like that is addiction. Mm-hmm. That is it. And I, I think that it's not talked about because you look at the person and you see what society has told you to view as a healthy body. Mm-hmm. And and that, for me, that's the crux of toxic body positivity. You use your optics, you use your heuristic processing to evaluate someone rather than critically exploring what it means to be quote unquote healthy. Yeah, I um, so going briefly back to the idea of culture, I had a friend in grad school who's in the graduate nutrition program, Ashley Tomey, mm-hmm. um, or Ashley Mulcahy Tomey, and she. Uh, worked a lot with the Hispanic population, she herself mm-hmm. being Hispanic, and her interest was in the tortilla mm. and how the tortilla is based all pure carb and it's served with everything, mm-hmm. and you can't replace it for Hispanic culture. Mm. And so she kept trying to think about and talk about in a lot of our classes is with the rise of diabetes in the Mexican population and Hispanic populations, the tortilla could be a place where they try to figure something out. But if it's made in certain ways in families, Mm. it's a family thing to make the tortilla. Yeah. So it's not just replacing a tortilla. Oh, man. Yeah, that's such a difficult balance. Yeah. Yeah, and it it makes me think of like a wonderful conversation. 
it, yeah, it makes me think of like a, a lot of uh, uh, Ethiopian and Eastern Asian countries, like like India. They they the 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 naan is mm-hmm. the vessel. It's the it is the utensil. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not just a food, right? Yeah, it is. It's part of your like culture and your identity, and that's that's such an interesting, important point. Mm-hmm. Okay, we have a little bit of time left, yeah. so we've been talking all about the ways in which this sort of toxic body positivity can manifest in ways that are harmful. Mm-hmm. Do we have examples of body positivity? that are not toxic that we can share like what sorts of messaging should we be embracing um, about the body and about the self Mm. yeah it's a lot of in my experience find first of all finding the right doctor Mm, is huge i recently and this is so recent for me because i just saw a new doctor Mm And the way that they approached the issue of weight with me was the most respectful I've ever had, where it wasn't, you need to lose weight. Mm. It wasn't, well, you need to do this, that, that. Mm-hmm. He asked, so do you want to lose weight? Mm. And I was like, I mean, sure. <laughs> and then he offered some things about how I could if I wanted to. Mm. But it wasn't that you need to, especially mm. when all of my blood tests came back that, hey, you're literally fine. Um you have like a little less of a red blood cell thing, but it's fine. Everything else that someone would associate that someone with a large body would have, I don't. And that's the case for most people. Yeah. So finding a doctor who supports and understands issues of weight and body diversity is huge. Yeah. Because yes, there are risks, but that doesn't mean you have it. It doesn't mean that you are going to get it. Right. At risk, such an important term. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just because I am a large body doesn't mean I have diabetes. It doesn't right. mean that I'm going to have a stroke tomorrow, <laughs> right? It's not even 20, 30, 40 years down the line for me at this point. Mm-hmm. So those are things that help us understand the physicality of our own bodies so that we can, if encountered with the negative messaging, we can point to something that says, actually, I have all this evidence that says I'm fine. Yeah. Right? And so that relationship with the, do- with the doctor, the nursing staff, the whole medical staff is a really important relationship to have. Um, and then fi- identifying if your doctor is not understanding of that. Yeah. It's perhaps time to s- see if you can see someone else or have that conversation with your doctor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that that, that kind of comes back to what we were talking about earlier with like things like access, right? Mm-hmm. Where some people, unfortunately, they don't have that access. And so right. then they get stuck in this loop of like, oh, well, I, I don't have a doctor. So what are the doctors on social media saying? Or like, mm-hmm. you know, what are the trainers on social media saying? And I think that's how we get into the loop of, of being in a, a, a space that advocates for body positivity in a harmful way. Uh, a harmful way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, man. All right. Well, we've got two <laughs> minutes left, and that definitely does not give us any time for our bonus question. Mm-hmm. So what I'll do is uh, I'll just turn it over to you for the next, I don't know, minute or so and, and see if, do you have any other, like, thoughts or feelings about um, this phenomenon in general? Oh, lots of thoughts and feelings, <laughs> but um, the biggest thing is, as, and even as I'm teaching my students in interpersonal class, uh, my interpersonal family and conflict classes this semester, is where do our perceptions lie? Mm. And the second that we let something get in the way of understanding someone as a person, that is where perceptions have prevented us from 
good interpersonal mm-hmm. communication. And so if you're letting someone's body size determine if you're going to interact with them, if what your first comment is going to be to them, mm-hmm. if you're planning in your head, I'm going to talk to this person about their weight at some point, think, are you their doctor? first of all, um, or someone that they are okay talking with their weight about. And if not, that's your perception being placed upon someone rather than experiencing that genuine relationship with them. So it's recognizing where is this interaction actually going? Mm-hmm. What am I thinking? And taking that moment to pause and right. saying, am I preventing myself from engaging in a good relationship or good dialogue with this person? because I'm letting body size get in the way. Very interesting and important. And it's just that sort of self-reflection that a lot of people are reluctant to do for whatever reason. I'm glad that we ended on doctors because our next two episodes are going to be all about doctors and patients and caregivers. And so later today, uh, we'll be talking with Dr. Sharik Sharwani all about the ways in which um, folks with you know medical conditions interact with their caregivers and who mm. those folks are. And then the week after that, we'll be talking about uh, providers and, and how that messaging can come up. So I think that's what we'll bring this up at that point. But awesome. For now, we're done. Thank you so much, Robbie, for joining. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. All right, we'll see you later today for our part two. Until then, take care. You've been listening to Red Rock Relationships, a podcast about communication. Thank you so much for giving us some of your time. If you'd like to be on the show or have questions for us, please send us an email to redrockrelationships at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just search Red Rock Relationships. Thank you again. And remember, it all begins with good communication. This has been a production from a podcast studio.